You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Longroom Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. As you know at this stage, I think Dina is a writer and comics artist based in Cairo and she's the author of this um, beautiful book, um, first published uh, in Arabic as um, Shubek Lubek, I hope my pronunciation is, is, um, is uh, correct, Yeah, and now um, published just at the beginning of this year um, as Your Wish is My Command in, um, in English. Um, you may be aware of the widespread acclaim that the book um, has, uh, has attracted. Seamus O'Reilly in the Irish Times, in a piece we've been looking at just here, um, called it a masterful modern fairy tale. And one of the things I think readers have been drawn to in this book is the blend of realism and um, fantasy, which Dina achieves in really extraordinary ways. So just to give you a bit of background, um, we have modern Cairo brought very beautifully to life for us, from the kind of energetic centre of the city to the gated communities on the outskirts of the city. But this is a world where wishes can be bought and sold. So by the time the story begins, the extraction and the commodification and the classification of wishes, which were once only put to very limited use and recorded in folklore and oral tradition, um, has been kind of long established. So Dina offers an alternative but utterly recognisable strand of the history of um, colonialism with the extraction and exploitation of resources, in this case wishes, by European imperial powers from the early 19th century onwards. During World War II, uh, we're told that wishes are put to brutal and excessive use, which leads to international regulation by the UN. The commercialisation of wishes is accelerated by American capitalism in the early 20th century, and the classification of wishes as first or second or third class wishes reflects and intensifies social inequalities. So third class wishes can be extremely dangerous, and by the 2010s they're heavily regulated, and first class wishes are available only to those who can afford them. So we have this amazing framework, but that's actually communicated to us only in a couple of quite brief sections in the book. Um, Mainly, the narrative focuses on three characters who have the opportunity to use a precious first-class wish. There's Aziza, who is working through extreme grief and who becomes a victim of the structural inequality um, which surrounds the whole world of wishes. There's Noor, a student who's battling depression and who's struggling to find a remedy for depression, but also a, a more general sense of purpose. And there's Shokri, who is the owner of a kiosk in Cairo, where these three wishes are for sale, um, who has the opportunity, he thinks, to save a friend from terminal illness, but who has then to wrestle with his conscience, with his religious beliefs, and also with his friend's own desires um, as he he thinks about that opportunity. Um, So Ganzia, another celebrated Egyptian author-artist, has described um, Shubek Lubek as easily the most subversive book in decades. And even from this brief outline, I'm sure you can tell that this book, Dina's work, is consistently asking questions about happiness and fairness, about duty and morality, and about politics and ethics. There's certainly a satirical edge, which I think Dina has already been developing in previous um, work, notably the very brilliant uh, webcomic Kahira. Um, But there's also unflagging humour and pathos, and I think anybody who looks at Dina's work will see immediately that she's a tremendously compassionate and vivid um, storyteller. So I'm sure you're aware that she's joining us at the invitation of the Centre for Resistance Studies. And through the hub, we've partnered with the International Literature Festival Dublin on a special event which is taking place tomorrow afternoon down in Merrion Square, where Dina is going to be in conversation with the writer and law student Fadila Salawi. 
it would be really wonderful to see you there um, as well where you can buy copies of the book at the festival bookshop um, and we also want to be careful not to overlap too much with that event so Dina and I have been in contact about the kinds of things we might talk about this afternoon and as I said we thought we might focus a bit on the background to this book and to her work and influences and perhaps also to think about the question of translation which is really really important here not just between languages and cultures but also between genres and formats um, as I've said most importantly this is a discussion a conversation um, so I might just ask one or two questions to start with, and then we can we can open this up. Is that okay? Yes, of know? course, go ahead. Fantastic. Okay. So, I mean, maybe you could just tell us to start with how you came to graphic narratives, how you came to how you came to your work, where where it all begins. Okay, I will use the microphone, though I think everyone can hear me. Um, actually, I started in comics specifically by accident. I'm I was always drawing, like my whole life since I was three years old. I always liked to draw. And I always really liked to read, and I also really liked to write, but I always did those things separately. And then um, when I started to be on the internet a lot, so in, a, in around like 2008, 2009, I started to just use the internet, you know, incessantly. And at some point, one of the easiest ways to express myself became to combine those things. So if I wanted to say something, sometimes I would just put it in the form of a comic, even though I wasn't someone who had really grown up with comics, so the comics I used to read were like Tintin, which we had like in, in Arabic, which is in Tintin, and sometimes I used to read like um, Mickey, which is also really big in Egypt, but in Arabic, and then there was this Italian comic called Witch, which I don't know if you guys have ever heard of, this was for some reason quite big in Egypt. Um, but there were very random books, like I wasn't someone who used to go to a comic book store and, and read books. Um, read comics specifically. So it was only like when I started doing my webcomic, which was because I like had something to say and I wanted to post it online, and then I, I kind of started using the comic format more, and then that comic became very popular, and so I started to realize I didn't know enough about comics. I felt like, uh, like through this experience, I learned that I do really love comics, and I want to learn more about them. So for like my undergraduate uh, thesis, I studied the history of Egyptian comics, I was studying graphic design at the time, and then as I was studying the history of Egyptian comics, I realized I really want to do like a proper proper book. Like I, I felt very inspired. So from there, I decided to start working on Shubik Shubik. So it's kind of a a very normal journey, I guess. But like I, I sort of bypassed the comics obsession and entered it quite late. Yes. Yeah. But lots of really, really fascinating points there as well about about kind of influences, about sort of intercultural encounters, I suppose, through through comics. Yes. Um, also about that, that really interesting point about kind of web to um, book, and maybe that's something yes. that other people might want to want to ask about as well. I mean, you said that there you, you felt there was something that you could kind of express through this format and online, and is that with Kahira that you? Yes. Yeah, which um, is such so, an so Kahira was this web comic I started when I was eighteen. So it was a satirical webcomic about um, a female uh, Egyptian, like visibly Muslim superhero. Um, it was kind of, it was, I originally posted it like um, on Tumblr, just sort of, I had read this very misogynistic article and I wanted to make fun of it. And it was like, mostly at the time, um, I was usually communicating in English online mm -hmm. because first of all, Tumblr had terrible Arabic support. And then also it was like for my internet friends who lived abroad as well. Uh, so it was just kind of to, to let off steam. And then because it got more popular, I started to 
make more of it. And then once I was making more of it, I had to make it more Egyptian because I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm localizing it now. And then I started posting it in English and in Arabic. Um, and so it was definitely like, I think at the time, a lot of us were using the internet in a way that was um, like, it, this was, so this was 2013. So at the time it was very common to kind of use the internet to express yourself. Mm -hmm like to express your grievances to, especially in Egypt, it was just something that I felt was at that point normal to me. Like, oh, I want to talk about this, so I'm going to just post about it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't do that anymore, most people don't. Um, but it, it felt like a, a good, it was definitely a very sharp learning curve, I would say. Like, it was a very valuable experience for me because when I was posting, the difference, I think, and the advantage of, of web comics is that they're instantaneous. So people read them right away, especially the way I was doing it. So it was like very personal. It doesn't go through like a platform or anything. So I was always getting immediate feedback. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of felt like a conversation. So at the time, I wasn't someone who was studying like human rights. I wasn't studying sociology or anthropology. I didn't really know what I was talking about. It was mostly coming from my experience and the things I wanted to say. Um, but having posted this comic and then having to read what like a lot of smart people were saying about it. I, I really learned a lot like within like a year, <laughs> I think. Um, so it was a very good learning experience for me. It, it taught me a lot and um, it just, uh, it kind of set off my interest in comics too. So it was a very long winded explanation. No, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, I suppose you mentioned your readers, you mentioned your audiences, you mentioned, you know, working in English and in Arabic and, and you, I believe, you did translate. Um, I did, yes. Yeah, which, so, I mean, do you, do you picture your reader? Do you, or has that sense of your reader changed as well as your sense of the format or the genre has changed, maybe? Or do you have, do you have, because one of the really wonderful things about your wish is my command that, that people who've read it will know is that there, there are moments where you kind of address the reader, there are words which you haven't translated from Arabic, there's a great sense of bringing this into kind of, um, uh, you know, certain um, conversational terms, um, important, important terms that are kind of present there. So I, I kind of felt there was like a narrative voice very much as well as the voices of the characters. So, but, but are you, do you have in mind the person or the people that you're addressing through your work? Uh, yes, a hundred percent. I think um, for me, I, because originally, like I said, I started, so I started with a webcomic and at the time it was very much directed towards like my circle of friends online. And then when it got more popular, I sort of started seeing more and more people respond to it. And I think as well, this is something a lot of people experience when things start to like go a little viral. It's like this sense of not being able to control your audience and almost seeing like how all these different people who weren't really meant to see it, to react to it. And so like, for example, Ohara, one of the funny things to me was that um, the third comic was about sexual harassment. And at that point, the, the comic was very Egypt-based. And sexual harassment was a really big conversation in Egypt at the time. And um, I made this comic in English. And in English, it was very, very popular. Like, a lot of people related to it. Because actually, in Egypt, sexual harassment had become very politicized at the time. But abroad, it actually isn't so much. So in Egypt, like if you read about Egypt, the first thing they'll be like, it's like 99.3% of Egyptian women have been sexually harassed. And that's because when they did the statistics, they included catcalling. And so in Egypt, like a lot of women consider catcalling sexual harassment now. 
um, because of this, because it can be quite aggressive. It's you know a reclamation of public space. Um, but abroad, a lot of people don't consider catcalling to be sexual harassment. And so, in a sense, once this comic was made, a lot of women like all over the world were like, oh, I experienced this too, like this is relatable to me. And the English version was actually quite popular before I translated it into Arabic. Mm -hmm. Although the Arabic version was very popular in Egypt, like, like locally. Um, and so at the time, someone like posted the English comic to Reddit, to one of those forums like where people make fun of like feminists and like social justice people and things like that. And they were like making fun of the comic because they're like, this is like, Hijab, like hijab wearing superhero, like oh this is like have gone too far, blah blah blah. And then someone in the comments goes, Oh, this this author is actually like Arab, she's Egyptian, and this comic is like directed to Egyptians, it's made in Egypt. And so they were like, Oh yes, yes, it's really bad over there for women. <laughs> we should transfer this threat. <laughs> and so I think this is a very good example of like audience. Yeah. Because to them, like, oh it's okay for like Arab men to be considered misogynistic, but they wouldn't want, you know, the normal like the same actions because they realize, oh, this actually happens in the Middle East, so they're like, yeah, yeah, it's really bad for women there. Yeah. Um, so this was just one of like the things that was entertaining to me when I was posting the comic. But when it comes to like Shubeka Bik, so actually Shubeka Bik happened because I was very tired of, of posting things online. I, I, at some point, I started to think too much about like who was reading it mm -hmm. and all the audiences, and, and it was just like the idea of like communicating Arabic-speaking readers and English-speaking readers, and I know I really shouldn't consider my audience that way, like you, you shouldn't really let it influence the kind of things you make, but when you're posting it online you can't help but to do that. There's like this feeling of like needing to make so many disclaimers and have so much nuance, and that can be quite restrictive after a while. Um, so I was like, okay, I want to just make a book in Arabic, because I was more invested in Egyptian comics, and I wanted to see if I could publish it. So at the time, I knew it was very hard to publish a graphic novel in Egypt just because of the market, like no one buys it, so it's, it's just hard to stock, it's hard to put in a bookstore. Um, I had done like a lot of research on all of the like successful and unsuccessful graphic novel attempts in Egypt, and so I knew what the challenges were, and so I wanted to try and just make a graphic novel. Like my whole, like my goal was just to make one. Um, so it was much more freeing to just focus on like an Egyptian audience. Mm -hmm. So for me, should big to big, I don't necessarily think I like specified the audience, but I knew they were Egyptians. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it was and it was also in one language, so I didn't have to keep translating in my head. So like you said, it's like the translation happens while I'm working because if I know more than one like language is going to be read, mm -hmm. then I have to always be like thinking about it. But if I just think of one audience, then it's easier. Um, until I sold the translation, and then I was like, oh, I'm back here again. But once I sold the translation, um, it was still easier because at that point I was thinking, it's already in Arabic, it was originally meant to be in Arabic, and so the translation is just the translation. Mm -hmm. It's not the way I was working with Qahira, which was made in English and in Arabic mm -hmm. at the same time. So it was still a lot more freeing. Yeah. Um, but definitely, I was thinking about the process of, like, an English-speaking readership reading it. Not just because, because it was the first time I had translated something as well. Like, I'm not a translator, formally speaking. It's not something I've studied. I don't know if I'm very good at it. Um, but I was also thinking of the kind of trans... I, I consume a lot of translated content. So I consume, like... I think my whole life, all of us, 
we've always been on the receiving end of translated content because the time period when I was born as well, there was kind of um, a lapse of Egyptian work in general. So I think my parents consumed a lot more Egyptian media than we did growing up. Of course, it's part of like the world expanding and access and, and things like that. But like, we are, for example, most of my childhood, I was watching like anime translated to Arabic and then cartoons in English and then like after a while we watched Turkish soaps in like Syrian Arabic and, and so there's like I've had a lot of experience with subtitles <laughs> and with like things that are translated but also things that are translated by people who aren't translators yeah. so like pirated translations and those are the kind I tend to enjoy the most because I tend to find them more engaging and I, I tend to enjoy like the little cultural context people like trans mm -hmm. translators put especially like unprofessional translators because rather than like adapting a joke they'll explain the joke they'll be like this is funny because in the original language this was a fun like this and this and this and so i like this even if it doesn't make you laugh you learn something and then the next time that joke happens you understand why it's funny right yeah and so when i was translating shabik i was just like i want it to feel like a translation so i want it to feel like you have a translator with you um, and it was not too difficult because in the Arabic version there's a narrator too yeah. and the narrator also has a voice mm -hmm. so in the English version I just sort of adapted that, mm -hmm. that voice slightly um, there are very like there's two slightly different versions and it was only when um, someone is now translating it into French and I was like oh how is this going to be translated into other language <laughs> because now they have to translate from like two different books almost um, so they have their Challenges. Thank you very much for that and thank you also for joining us. We really are very fortunate to have had this special prelude to tomorrow's event in Merrion Square, um, which is at 2.15. Um, thank you so, so much, Dina, and thank you everybody for coming and for your questions. Thank you.